Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Hello, my friends, and welcome to this, another episode of the Roto World Football Podcast. My name is Josh Norris. Thank you for being here. So today, we have two videos spliced together for the show. The first one is going to be quarterback tiers and rankings. You know, we spent this entire summer talking about every single player, it feels like. But I've also noticed a lot of fantasy discussions tend to lean towards like mid-round or late-round favorites to the point like... We forget about some of the top talents at the position. So that's where we spend the bulk of the conversation today. In fact, with quarterbacks, we namely start with going name by name with our top 12 ranked players at the position. So let's start it there. We have Hayden Daigle. And I actually start with Pat asking him the simplest question of all. Why we have Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson as our top two quarterbacks this year. Uh, we have eyes, you know, we look for like really complicated, like uh, complex reasoning for everything we say. But I mean, there's just no, there's no secret sauce here. Just two special players, both do it two different ways. Patrick Mahomes, the most explosive downfield passer we've seen maybe in 10, 15 years. And Lamar Jackson, explosive downfield passer. Also, you know, the truly, I mean, unprecedented dual threat with his legs and, there's no, I mean, there's no complex reasoning here. They're the two best quarterbacks by miles, and that's why they're in a tier by themselves at the top. But I think Mr. Hayden Winks probably has more eloquent reasoning uh, beyond that for why uh, they're there. I'm definitely an eye test guy as well, and it's definitely clear. But yeah, for the stats, two years ago, Patrick Mahomes threw for 50 touchdowns. Last year, Lamar Jackson breaks the rushing record at quarterback. So it's pretty easy to see why from a statistical perspective they're in a tier of their own. And last year, I think the floors of both of these players were just so high. Lamar Jackson was rushing for like 40 plus yards every single game. Then when he wasn't rushing, he was throwing touchdowns left and right. So I think both of these offenses are just juggernauts. They didn't lose that many pieces on both sides of of the ball. I think those are probably going to be the two best teams in the NFL. So that's why they're in a tier of their own. The question becomes for fantasy is, do we draft them in the second round or do we draft them in the third round, the fourth round? Where do we draft them? Uh, I think that their upsides kind of justify a late third round draft pick. But Dago, what do you think about that? I have had numerous listeners and readers actually DM me their boards the past week. I didn't request them. They're just coming to me. And (laughs) I will say it served as a reminder that in your typical home and recreational leagues, whether it be redraft, super flex or two quarterback leagues, the fact is quarterbacks remain overvalued. And thus you should wait for the second or third tier 
in the mid to last rounds as opposed to reaching for these guys. Unless, of course, Mahomes and Lamar in a regular one quarterback redraft league fall to like the fifth round. But odds are that just doesn't happen because I never see it happen. But as for their fantasy production, we know they're going to be one and two. The question is, can Mahomes with all the rushing, the 11 fantasy points just via his legs per game and 15 starts last year for Lamar Jackson, can Mahomes possibly top that? And I think the path is those last four games he played and the seven carries he averaged at least in those four games, every single game, at least seven scrambles. And that's how Mahomes, still the better arm in the league, gets there to become the QB1 overall. Well, let's dive down into some of those other tiers and maybe more likely quarterbacks that will exit fantasy drafts with. Let's go to tier number two, and it starts with Dak Prescott, three, Deshaun Watson, four, Kyler Murray, five, and Russell Wilson, six. Daigle, I actually want to turn this right back on you because we know Dak Prescott in some ways had a breakout campaign in 2019, and you actually have him at the top of this tier at number three. There, you cannot play devil's advocate for Prescott because there's absolutely nothing wrong with his offseason. Uh, last year's Cowboys already recorded the ninth most yards per play since 1970. And now they logically traded Jason Garrett, Jason Witten, and Randall Cobb for Mike McCarthy, who in his last tenure with the Packers, was the most aggressive coach on fourth downs. Thus, we should project for more offensive possessions for the Cowboys. For Blake Jarwin, who adds more yards after the catch than Witten, just by throwing on a jersey and sitting down in the locker room. And then C.D. Lamb, who, uh, I mean, it's C.D. Lamb. He he was the first-round rookie they grabbed. He's a strength adding to a strength of this offense. So there's no concern for me about Prescott whatsoever in a contract year after performing career highs across the board in his first year with Kellen Moore, who returns to call plays for another year. Pat, I would love to go to you about Deshaun Watson, who you have as number four, because this is really going to be the first time we see Deshaun Watson, one, without Bill O'Brien calling the plays, but also, and maybe most importantly, without DeAndre Hopkins. I'm sure that'll give drafters some cause for concern that he lost a bona fide number one wide receiver this offseason. Yeah, I mean, somebody had like a mind meld with too. There's kind of like a Brady Edelman thing between Deshaun Watson and DeAndre Hopkins. But, you know, there were a lot of ways to go about this other than trading DeAndre Hopkins. But the Texans, you know, arguably almost have a more balanced, like better overall offensive setup this year, like a kind of like a textbook offensive setup where you have the outside burners and Will Fuller and Brandon Cooks. Then you have Randall Cobb who can eat over the middle. Uh, it's a few tight ends that can are kind of tar- could be target hogs type target hog types over the middle. Maybe even Kiki Cutie gets involved in the party. So and then like two running backs who are also very versatile and David Johnson and Duke Johnson that you know amongst the best pass catching backs of the past 10 years and just a very balanced overall setup on offense, really like a textbook way you would want to design an explosive passing offense. And like we, we've said in the past, you know, Bill O'Brien sometimes makes life like overly difficult for Deshaun Watson. So that is a huge positive, even though we don't know anything about Tim Kelly. So just kind of like some good renewal on the Texans offense. And despite trading an all world talent, still a very balanced overall setup and just something this is just a great setup for any quarterback, but Deshaun Watson, who still doesn't get enough credit for his legs. I feel like what four, third or fourth in the league in quarterback rushing since he debuted, even though he only, only made seven appearances as a rookie. So he just kind of has the entire package would have preferred that it still included the all world number one receiver. 
Uh, but yeah, he still has one of the best setups in the NFL at quarterback. Pat, it certainly seems like they are focusing even more on what he does well in terms of being one of the best vertical passers in the NFL. So you bring in a Brandon Cooks and Randall Cobb obviously had the exact same average depth of target that DeAndre Hopkins had last year. And hopefully Tim Kelly unlocks that layup element to Deshaun Watson's game where you can really use David Johnson and Duke Johnson. Um, Hayden, going to you, you know, we hear all about volume so often in fantasy football. Well, one of the names on this list of the top six that we just mentioned might have the least amount of volume of them all, and that is Russell Wilson. Yet you have him number four in your rankings. Obviously, we love Russ. We love DK. We love Tyler Lockett. We love a lot of elements of this offense. But what gives you the belief that he's going to get enough opportunity to make good on that ranking? Yeah, like you said, the Seahawks were 23rd in pass attempts last year. But there's a couple things working in his favor this season. First of all, last year the Seahawks played well above expectations. There's there's a chance, at least what the math says, is that the Seahawks are going to be trailing a little bit more, more so than they did last season. So that would be positive news for Russell Wilson and his passing volumes. But even without it, the last six years, he's been a top five quarterback in four of the last six seasons. That includes a couple top three finishes as well. His upside's through the roof if they do pass the ball a little bit more. And like you said, it's DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. I think this is probably the best wide receiver duo uh, he's ever had in his career. And that even includes the Doug Baldwin days. And there's even still some rumors that maybe they signed Antonio Brown or, or Josh Gordon if they can get a couple weeks out of them too. So I think that the, the range of outcomes is a little bit wider than you would expect from a top six player. Uh, but the, the upside is enormous if they can pass the ball a little bit more. I don't even know if the range of outcomes is disasterly, though. Like, this is a team that ran the ball at the sixth highest rate in neutral game script last year, and yet he still finished uh, top five in fantasy points per game. So I think his floor is top six, and then his ceiling is QB1 overall. I don't think he'll get there. I don't think he can trump Mahomes or Jackson, given how little he runs. But the safety net of being inside the top six every year, despite the offense he plays in, is what I think you're catering to here. Well, and, and the other thing about Russell Wilson is also kind of like regression proof when it comes to touchdown percentage. Yeah. He's like one of the top touchdown percentage quarterbacks of the era. And that's been year after year, right in that six, the six range, which is just completely elite. Yeah. He just, he's an elite quarterback and he finds the end zone and he's got one of the best two receiver sets in the NFL. The one quick thing I wanted to add with everybody in this tier, the all four quarterbacks, there are very easy avenues to stacking them with their wide receivers. I mean, a lot of mid-round tar- targets. We're talking about Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf, Christian Kirk earlier, uh, CeeDee Lamb and Michael Gallup. All these guys have uh, players to stack with. So I think that this tier could be uh, valuable as long as you're not reaching for them. I'm talking about like a seventh round pick. That's when you should be targeting these guys. And absolutely no coincidence that all four have at least some rushing floor to their game or upside, even if you want to say that in the red zone as well. All right, let's go to the next tier. Uh, More names in this list, six of them. And I've kind of separated them into two groupings. It's the upsides and Carson Wentz, Matthew Stafford, and Josh Allen versus the reliables, the guys that have done it for year in and year out, and Matt Ryan and Tom Brady and Drew Brees. Personally, of this group, I'm aiming for upside and I'm – going with Carson Wentz every single time. Uh, One, I want to ask if I'm wrong, but two, let me make my point because, you know, I know understand that Carson Wentz last year was the quarterback 13 in fantasy points per game. We actually have him as the quarterback eight. He's going around the quarterback 11 in fantasy drafts. And so we have him well above consensus. But I mean, again, quarterback 13 fantasy points per game last year with absolute scrubs 
at wide receiver. We get Sean Jackson back. We add Jalen Rager. Um, hopefully some other names step up in Alshon Jeffrey's absence. You get Miles Sanders for an entire season. Pat, I see an absolute blow-up spot potential in a good way for Carson Wentz in 2020 behind still a top-10 offensive line in the NFL. I do too. I mean, I will say this isn't the first time we've hyped Carson Wentz coming into a season sure. and he hasn't quite delivered, but I mean, what he did in the second half of last season was nothing short of heroic with Greg Ward as his number one receiver. And he's got that mix you look for in a real life quarterback and a fantasy quarterback of efficiency and explosion. And he hasn't been quite been able to get it going down the field, not because he doesn't have the arm strength or the talent, but just because he didn't have the personnel and the Eagles have again, aggressively addressed that. But this time, you know, how healthy Deshaun Jackson coming back and then a first-round pick, Jalen Regor. And just a much deeper supporting cast this year, a much more balanced supporting cast this year. They should have that missing element of the deep ball. And Carson Wentz, also a great athlete. He's not going to give you really rushing strategy in fantasy, but a great athlete too. And he's just the whole package of what you look for in a fantasy quarterback. And didn't quite deliver last year in fantasy, um, but I, this uh, everything points to this year being the year. Talk, talk about healthy, and that has been a question to end seasons for Carson Wentz. John Daigle, Matthew Stafford, if he had continued his health from the first half of the season and played a full 16 games late last year, we were looking at a most likely top five quarterback in fantasy football. It wasn't just top five quarterback after he finished with the fourth most fantasy points per game in his eight starts. It was a top five offense like that offense in those eight starts averaged 25 and a half points per game and six yards per play. Everything changed once Stafford got injured. He is reportedly healthy at camp right now. We'll know because they're about to start practicing. He will be available and under center so we can find out more. I don't think you're wrong about Carson Wentz. I think you're wrong to say he'll outproduce Matt Ryan and Matthew Stafford 10 out of 10 times because I think that's the tier. The thing is there's nothing left in Matt Ryan's ceiling because we know who he is now. Uh, even just most recently, back-to-back years of 600 attempts and at least 17 fantasy points per game, there is no ceiling to his game. He's capped, and it's a good projection, but it is the same projection over and over again. Uh, The one I think is still the outlier here is Josh Allen. Just to average seven carries and 27 career starts is sustainable production, and that's how you trump those statues who don't run but are still effective throwers, is that you get involved on your legs, and Josh Allen clearly has shown he can done that do that the past two years. Hayden, anyone in this tier stand out to you? Because, again, we focus all the conversation on Wentz, Stafford, and Josh Allen and have forgotten totally about the vanilla of Matt Ryan, Tom Brady, and Drew Brees. Yeah, if you were telling me or asking me to pick one of these guys, I would also pick Matt Ryan just because I think the Falcons are going to be first or second in passing volume, and they have really strong weapons and even an improved offensive line. Plus, they'll be trailing because the division's so strong. Um, but going over to Tom Brady and Drew Brees, we're dealing with quarterbacks, and we just don't really have a full grasp of what they could actually perform this year. Talking specifically about Drew Brees, I'm not convinced that he's going to be um, on the field, like with the, inside the 10 yard line every single time, just because they actually want to use Taysom Hill. Uh, so that's a possible concern. That's why I've dropped him a little bit, but I, I agree with Daigle. It's, it's the Josh Allen, Carson Wentz, uh, Matthew Stafford, Matt Ryan guys out of this tier that I want to be targeting and kind of avoiding Tom Brady and Drew Brees. All right. So we've hit something on- Stafford. Go ahead. I've heard so much from John about Stafford. It's not hyperbole. I mean, Stafford last year was basically 
playing a more efficient version of Jameis Winston ball where his average depth of target was almost two yards beyond the line of scrimmage. Only two other quarterbacks were even above 0.6 yards beyond the line of scrimmage. So he was throwing beyond the sticks every play and at a much deeper rate than almost any other quarterback. And pro football focus, his deep percentage passes that are at least 20 yards in the air was almost 20%. And Russell Wilson was second at 16.9%. So we basically saw like a completely new Matthew Stafford last year. And I mean, they were having great success with it as we know. So they should be sticking with this approach and Stafford is someone kind of getting lost in the shuffle this summer. And most importantly, continuity, because nothing has changed for that offense. They added one of the best pass catching running backs in the draft with DeAndre Swift, but for wide receivers, it's still Galladay, Marvin Jones, and Danny Amendola locking up the three spots. Yep, you definitely have to mention Danny Amendola in every podcast. He's still the starting <laughs> slot right now. <laughs> All right, we've ran through the top 12 quarterbacks. As we open this conversation, maybe the way to win your fantasy draft is to find that next Patrick Mahomes, to find that next Lamar Jackson. And in their drafts where they really exploded uh, in a season, they were taken outside of the top nine, top 10 quarterback names. So every other quarterback is on the table here. Uh, which name do you want to talk about, Hayden Winks? Well, I'm not going to be promising uh, Lamar Jackson numbers here, but if you're waiting to the 14th round and Joe Burrow is your quarterback and he produces like a top 10, top 12 fantasy quarterback throughout this year, that's a win. I think that Joe Burrow is being slept on a little bit for two reasons. One, there's the passing volume with the Bengals offense. They have the skill uh, skill position players to match it. They were sixth in pass attempts last year. I think that Joe Burrow is probably going to be top 10 in pass attempts this year just because the Bengals are going to be trailing. They're 31st in total uh, win projection this year and then number two Joe Burrow is a dual threat quarterback he's not like uh Lamar Jackson per se but in college he averaged 24 yards per carry but that includes his sack yardage which works against him if you remove that sack yardage he's up to like 39 rushing yards per game if that translates over to the NFL that is something that's not being accounted for in fantasy drafts in fantasy rankings I see him like down as the quarterback 20 a lot I have him all the way up inside my top 15. This is a good conversation to have, so I actually want to go to each of you to name one of these quarterbacks. Pat, you have the floor to sell one other quarterback name that we have not mentioned. Well, see, the question earlier was where would I take Patrick Mahomes or Lamar Jackson, and my answer was going to be it's just not something that really even enters into like my thought process because the way to win is you know try to find the next one. And this year is kind of lacking obvious candidates. Joe Burrow does really stick out. I do wonder, really, if Joe Burrow is going to be running anywhere close to that much in the NFL. Kind of a product of being in an like an unreal, good designed offense against college competition, but clearly a superior athlete and what could still remain an element of his game. I mean, to, there's no true obvious like Mahomes was kind of obvious the year he did it. Lamar was kind of obvious last year. There's no one like that unless you want to count Josh Allen or Kyler Murray. If you're thinking way down board, like someone who's like for free. I would. I am not saying it's so happen. I mean, Drew Locke has that kind of explosive playmaking uh, ability. Someone you really want it to be usually a dual threat, though. I mean, someone else free Tua Tag of Tag Ovaloa, uh, could maybe be someone I would stash on my bench for a few weeks and see what how they have him played the quarterback position. He didn't have great rushing yardage at Alabama, but he is a great uh, athletic quarterback. And but there's no obvious Mahomes, Lamar Jackson life hack this year, unless you want to say it's Josh Allen or Kyler Murray. Daigle? I don't know if I've ever talked about Gardner Minshew of the AFC Championship Jaguars on this podcast before and this video before as well. But I will say 
Minshew, before he got benched, uh, QB 10 overall in fantasy points per game, behind five carries per game, and the Jaguars have the fourth softest passing projected passing schedule and fourth softest slate of defenses. That's why I like them. They have an easy schedule, and I believe they have talent, talent and playmakers on offense, despite what everyone else thinks. You guys are going really deep. One, I appreciate that. I'll keep it a little more surface level and throw out two names, Ben Roethlisberger and Cam Newton, okay? Because both of these players are coming off injuries. I think it's been forgotten about how good they have been when the last time they were healthy. I mean, Ben in 2018 was a top three quarterback in fantasy points per game. And if he comes back, and I understand he had surgery on multiple ligaments in his arm, like that is, three. yeah, that that is not good. If you could select a quarterback that didn't have that, that would be preferable. But he's also coming back to an offense that is explosive. One that, sure, will be without Antonio Brown from the last time he played. But I think you can put up massive production with Juju Smith-Schuster, Deontay Johnson, whoever they want to try out there as a third wide receiver, and Eric Ebron in the middle of the field. Plus, now we get Cam Newton with one of the best offensive minds in the NFL and Josh McDaniels, an offensive line that I still think is very talented. And I think you can absolutely question how explosive Muhammad Sanu and Nikhil Harry are. And, you know, Julian Edelman is like 34 years old. But I still think Cam Newton has a lot left. And I'm excited to see him in an actually good franchise to see what they can do with him in 2020. So there'd be those would be two names outside the, the top 12 quarterbacks right now that I, I, I could see ending as top five quarterbacks of the year. It's kind of criminal that none of us mentioned Daniel Jones, by the way, uh, who's right there in the cam tier. Hmm. Got it. The the first six weeks of the Giants schedule is an absolute disaster for Daniel Jones. So much so that I would stress not even drafting him because someone in your league is either going to drop him or if you feel like you must draft him for the rushing floor, then go ahead and also grab Jimmy Garoppolo or Joe Burrow, some with an easier opening schedule, even Minshew. That way you can stash Jones and not worry about that those first six weeks. Before switching on over to the wide receiver position, do have a few notes before we get started. I truly think we have the best deal in fantasy football right now for our premium products. We have our draft guide and season-long tools. It's $10 for a single month or $4 a month for an annual subscription. Again, you get our draft guide, which has all the rankings. You can do custom scoring. It has Dynasty. It has IDP. It has positional tiers, which, again, this is what this podcast is based on. ADP trends, in-depth team pages, player profiles, projections, all of that, a cheat sheet for you to take to your draft that is constantly updating. The best way to check this out is to go to rotoworld.com slash edge. And if you do choose an annual subscription, you can get $10 off if you enter promo code FBPOD10. Again, that annual subscription of the draft guide and season-long tools, it's the price of guacamole. I joked about it with Hayden on the last podcast, but it's absolutely true. Again, to me, best value in the fantasy football world. Just give it a look rotoworld.com slash edge. Also want to shout out all of you since I put out the bat signal in recent weeks to help spread the word of the podcast. You did that wonderfully. Want to shout out Yalikins, CF Game Breaker, Paul Gator, Coleman J, Bill and Sydney, Fighting Amish, so many more of you. Thank you so much for leaving five-star reviews. It, it helps us out. It helps us grow the audience in this pivotal month for us. I really appreciate it. If you want to leave Comments, I'm reading all those. Questions, I'll try to answer them. I do check them all out. All right, let's shift now to the wide receiver position. Almost universally, our group has Michael Thomas 1, Devontae Adams 2, Tyreek Hill 3, Julio Jones 4, and DeAndre Hopkins 5. 
except for one man, Patrick Darty, who has New Hopkins as his number two wide receiver. So the only logical question to ask was why he has so much conviction in DeAndre Hopkins this year. Uh, well, it begins with faith in the player. And, uh, you know, I saw this week the good Lord Evan Silva, uh, ex-Roto-Worlder, has DeAndre Hopkins as his wide receiver 14, you know, based on worry over wide receivers changing teams, which is a well-documented phenomenon. They do tend to post worse statistics in their first year with a new team. But, you know, to me, there's a big difference between something like Tyrell Williams going to the Raiders, like a, a decrepit Chad Ochocinco going to the Patriots, than there is for someone like DeAndre Hopkins, a singular talent going to the Arizona Cardinals and wide receivers do often struggle in the first year with their new teams, but it's not like we have no examples of of them. Not, I mean, Robert Woods, the the Rams just happened. Emmanuel Sanders to the Broncos just happened. Uh, Randy Moss. I don't know if anyone's heard of him to the Patriots that happened. And DeAndre Hopkins isn't quite a Mossian talent, but you know, he's an alpha wide receiver one and he's going to an offense too that, wants to be as simple as possible, wants to make life easy for its weapons, get out there in four receiver sets and run. An offense that we know wants to be amongst the league leaders in pass attempts that I think we all kind of expect to probably hopefully attempt 50 to 60 more passes this season than they they did last year. You know, most of all, an offense that they want to be all that that pass heavy, they want to have all those targets, but they were starved for quality targets. They desperately needed someone like DeAndre Hopkins, and they went out and aggressively addressed it and – I just think he's such a good fit with Kyler Murray's skill set too, his body control along the sideline. And a lot of faith in the player, a lot of faith in the scheme. And uh, you know, not I'm not expecting nearly as much target uh, regression as a lot of other people are too. And clearly I could be wrong. But to me, I think <laughs> a lot of people are overthinking DeAndre Hopkins uh, to the Arizona Cardinals. And to stick up for you for a second, Pat, I mean, it's not like he was used optimally last year with the Houston Texans. Like he kind of was used as this volume-based wide receiver. He was used as Julian Edelman. Yeah. It's a situation where we saw Cliff Kingsbury really maximize the talents he had last year's and the deficiencies he had last year. Well, guess what? If he can just unleash DeAndre Hopkins to an even more of those vertical passes this year compared to what he was allowed to do last year, I think the ceiling is really quite high, despite the other pass-catching weapons the Cardinals do have. Um, Daigle, we do have Devontae Adams as our, actually, as a site, uh, number two wide receiver. It's interesting. We had a quarterback conversation a little bit earlier and it's weird to have a quarterback conversation heading into a season where we don't even mention Aaron Rodgers, but we just did that. So then why does Devontae Adams make up our number two spot? I think we should be talking about Devontae Adams because he has a path to become the number one wide receiver and knock down Michael Thomas. I haven't had the courage to pull the trigger on that ranking just yet, but there is a clear path here because he missed four games last year and yet the 127 targets and 83 catches and 997 receiving yards he produced were the second highest marks in his career and only year one under Matt LaFleur. So I assume his team high 31% target share from last year is not only safe to sustain in 2020, but perhaps increase and he can lead the league in target share with all the question marks around him. It is well known the Packers didn't add another receiver. So while we argue about who we should draft in later rounds as Alan Lazard or Jay Sternberger, the list goes on and on, the answer could just be, hey, more targets, even more, go to Devontae Adams and thus makes him the number one wide receiver overall. Hayden, do Tyreek Hill or Julio Jones have a chance to unseat Michael Thomas here as well? Um, I'd be kind of surprised just – uh, if, if I was going to choose, it would just be uh, Julio Jones, just because we've seen it m- more consistently over the longer stretch of 
of time. Plus, Tyreek Hill doesn't get uh, quite as many targets as Julio Jones, Devontae Adams, and Michael Michael Thomas. So, yeah, I think Julio Jones it maybe isn't as sexy as, as uh, Devontae Adams. Maybe isn't as sexy as Michael Thomas just because of the numbers over the last two years. But Julio Jones is still a lock to be like 1,300-plus yards, 100 catches this year. And maybe finally he'll, he'll catch some positive <laughs> touchdown regression. Uh, let's See, go to Julio next. Jones is like guaranteed to get 1,400 yards. That's like what he does. And just real quick, when it comes to DeAndre Hopkins versus Devonta Adams, I just still have more faith in DeAndre Hopkins' ceiling. We've really only seen one ceiling year ever from Devonta Adams, who has only one 1,000-yard season ever. He's about to be 28 years old. Has a little bit of an injury history. I mean, missed the four games last year. It wasn't the first time he's missed time with injury. Just oh, I'm, there's not really a negative argument to be made for Devonta Adams, but just as part of my positive argument for DeAndre, that's why I would rather bet on DeAndre's ceiling than Devontae's ceiling. But yeah, Julio Jones, if he ever scored touchdowns, I mean, he'd be in that number. Because, I mean, he metronome for 1,400 yards. And 1,400 yards is like a pretty rare line, actually, for receivers. Not many receivers reach that, and he does it every year. I am not in the post-Hopkins outside of the wide receiver one range argument, but I think we should be wary of the bucket he's entering whenever a wide receiver changes teams in the offseason. Very quickly, Blair Andrews of Rotobiz did some work here. And in the last decade alone, 77 wide receivers averaged at least 10 fantasy points per game in a season and then changed teams. And only 26% of those 77 improved their per game production output the following year. That doesn't mean Hopkins can't do it. It just means you have to know the hill you are willing to climb, whether you're betting his season long prop or ranking him high because you're trying to buck a particular trend. And I know I was kind of pitting player against player there just a little bit, but obviously since we all rank these guys as top five wide receivers, we overwhelmingly love each as a player and like their situation this year. But if you're going to start with two running backs in your drafts, which I know a lot of people out there are, often you aren't going to hit on those wide receivers. So let's jump to that next tier that make up six through 16 for us. Names like Chris Godwin to Adam Thielen to Allen Robinson, Omari Cooper. These are a lot of the names that we are going to draft. Daigle, when you're on the clock and even more names than the ones I just mentioned are available, which receiver are you going to prioritize? I am a big fan of the Lions offense. If you go back and watch the quarterback video, given the splits that they had on as a on a per production basis with Stafford under center. And that's why I'm chasing Kenny Galladay because he led the league in 20-yard targets, downfield targets, and finished second in end zone targets while Stafford was under center. And those marks, for whatever reason, are being used against him in the industry just because he likely won't see as many raw targets as, let's say, Adam Thielen or Allen Robinson, which fall on the same tier. But those fruitful ones, the downfield ones that are volatile, those are the ones I want to chase because they don't necessarily have to go backwards, especially given uh, the talent and the production that Galladay has sustained in the red zone because he always gets those looks. And so they can go the opposite way as well. Yes, he already led the league in touchdowns, but with 16 games from Stafford, I want to see the ceiling if perhaps that production doesn't regress. So uh, I love Galladay's ceiling, and that's why I'm chasing his upside. Hayden, there are two Tampa Bay Buccaneers in this tier. Mike Evans, who we have as the wide receiver 10, and Chris Godwin, who we have as the wide receiver 6. That 
in many ways is a reflection on their 2019 seasons. That 2019 season was with Jameis Winston working in a lot of negative game script, kind of doing some YOLO ball and just throwing it up to his playmakers who could make plays. What's your confidence level in Godwin and Evans' ability to make good on the values of where they're being drafted right now? I think both of them could be top 16 wide receivers, but banking on both of them being top 10 is not something I'm going to be willing to do. And I think it's just like you mentioned, it's just the the differences between Tom Brady and Jameis Winston. So basically what we have to do here is we have to to believe is the air yards, how often they're throwing downfield, does that belong to the quarterback? Does that matter just because it's a a scheme thing or is that a, a wide receiver thing? And I think that it's probably a little bit of a mixture of both. I don't think that the difference between Jameis Winston and Tom Brady is like that drastic where you can completely fade either of them. But picking Chris Godwin as like the 23rd, 24th overall player is pretty rich for me. Um, I think that both they're both going to be fine, but paying off and like winning, like winning your league type of picks, I'm not sure they're going to get there just because they're both so good. Let's jump to the next tier. Wide receiver 17 through wide receiver 26. Uh, there's a lot of uncertainty here, Pat, but I think everyone's going to kind of have their favorites. Let me first focus on a little bit on the uncertainty. You know, A.J. Brown, I think, is a rare talent during his rookie season, but most likely his yards after the catch, which he was crazy in last season, is going to regress. Keen Allen, who has been a consistent fantasy force in previous years, is now locked in with Terod Taylor. Um, can Cortland Sutton and Devontae Parker follow up their breakout 2019s? Pat, if I asked you to pick a name in this group, again, wide receiver 17 to wide receiver 26, that could vault into the top 12 wide receivers by season's end, who would it be? On talent alone, I wish I could say it would be Cortland Sutton, but I just think he reminds me of almost like DeAndre Hopkins as to someone who can succeed in any scheme with any quarterback. There's just too many moving parts there for me. Uh, A new play caller, completely new supporting cast. The quarterback in Drew Locke, who he didn't post the best numbers with last year, only has five games with, uh, you know, and no offseason reps. So if it was just talent, I'd be saying Cortland Sutton or probably maybe even DK Metcalf, but still the Tyler Lockett situation there. I don't, I can't quite discern what to do there. Uh, I think it's probably Terry McLaurin who, we just saw basically do special things as a rookie and just got tripped up by minor injuries and terrible quarterback play. And, you know, there's nowhere to send these targets in the Washington offense. And just based on how Terry McLaurin immediately lived up to like his, uh, you know, pre-draft skill set, he was the player on the field that he was on paper and just the complete lack of places to funnel these targets in this offense, or I think Terry McLaurin could, could make that jump into the top 12, maybe not fairly. I was going to say fairly easily. That might be overstating it, but it's very easy to see this happening. I'll drive that home. I think it, he will be a top 12 wide receiver this year. And because you look at the coaching staff he has now, it was the same exact one basically that was in Carolina last season an offense that gave DJ Moore top 10 target volume last season. In fact, DJ Moore saw about 40 extra targets than Terry McLaurin did last year. And I mean, that was with bad quarterback play in Kyle Allen, who worst case scenario is going to be the quarterback for Terry McLaurin. And if he's not, that means Dwayne Haskins is playing at a level above. And there is absolutely no one 
who Scott Turner is going to, to sit there and say, okay, who do I need to force feed the ball who is not named Terry McLaurin? Like he, Scott, if he's good at anything so far as an NFL play caller, is getting the ball in the hands of the player he wants to get the ball in the hands to, and that has to be Terry McLaurin this season. All right, Daigle, that's two in the corner of Terry. Who are you going to nominate here? Well, I don't – I want to be in the corner of Terry, but <laughs> – I want to quadruple down on this too. I'm in. <laughs> To well, be fair, though, we have him in the wrong tier. Uh, basically, we no. probably move him to the second tier. Okay, I have one person that's probably controversial over him, but I think both of them rise to wide receiver one levels, or at least rival each other, uh, because I'm still high on DJ Shark. I think DJ Shark makes the talent leap as Cal- as a, um, a Chris Godwin, who we talked about earlier, did for the Bucks last year. That's DJ Shark this year, who led the entire team in target share while Gardner Minshew was under center. And the Jags have the fourth softest projected passing schedule on the year. Uh, LaVisca Chenault, 75% of his production came within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage per pro football focus last year. So he's not going to take away from Sharks' downfield presence and targets and his rapport, which has already been established with Minshew, now entering his second year. So I love DJ Shark this year. I can guarantee that Leonard Fournette is not going to see the same amount of targets that he saw last year either. Uh, Hayden Winks, your nomination is? Uh, it would be Tyler or Terry McLaurin. I'm going to pivot to T.Y. Hilton, who's a little bit lower on this list than other other players like uh, Terry McLaurin. But I think that you're getting a better quarterback situation in Indianapolis this year. Even if Phillip Rivers has uh, – he's like getting close to running on empty. I think that T.Y. Hilton said he was healthy. I think that he is um, still a, a great talent overall. And I think that the passing volume is going to be there. The Colts wanted to hide Jacoby Brissett last year. That's why they were really low in pass attempts, I think that number is going to climb a little bit. And they have the easiest schedule in the league, a great offensive line. They play in the dome. The division's bad. So I think that uh, there's a good chance that T.Y. Hilton becomes an every week wide receiver too. If T.Y. Hilton was featured in Game of Thrones, he would be dubbed the breaker of tears because he's right there smack in the middle of like the Devontae Parker, Marquise Brown range. The issue is, and this is so, so important for your drafts, you have got to pay attention how healthy he is in practice because we don't know about this quote-unquote minor hamstring injury suffered while training ahead of camp. And the thing is, he's talking about it as if it is a bigger deal than we are expecting. Like, he doesn't know when he's going to return, and he expects himself to return no matter what, which is a big issue because there's a difference in him returning at 100% and him returning just to be the Iron Man he is. And that would lead to his production like he had last year when he continued to try to play through injury and we just kept on starting him and him not reading, reaching expectations. So we have to be concerned about T.Y. Hilton as well. Big picture on the Colts, though. I mean, so many words have been spent on the Buccaneers this offseason, and for good reason. I mean, when you bring in maybe the greatest quarterback of all time and Tom Brady and Rob Gronkowski comes out of retirement, yes, that's a lot of positivity. Would not be shocking if the Indianapolis Colts outperform them this year and you can get every single one of their players at a discounted draft price than you can for the Bucs. I mean, I would even throw out someone like Paris Campbell. No, we're not this conversation yet, but as someone who is barely being drafted in your leagues out there, who I wouldn't be surprised in week one, week two, week three goes on and has far more production than we're expecting. All right. So that basically does it for the top 24 wide receivers, the wide receiver ones and the wide receiver twos. I want to put everyone else in a bin. Pat, who is the one player that we have not mentioned at the wide receiver position that we must mention before we exit this conversation. 
I think it's Marquise Brown who flashed a little of like, you know, not just game break, almost like league breaking upside last year and a special player playing with a special quarterback, the MVP, like put in a, a situation to do what he does best and to do it every week and very little target competition beyond the tight end position. And it's Marquise Brown is someone talk about a potential league winner at receiver. I think it's Marquise Brown, maybe Will Fuller in the same conversation, just have so little faith in Will Fuller, unfortunately to, you know, to even play like 13 or 14 games, let alone 16. But those are the real difference makers to me beyond the, the wide receiver one, two range where I'm very sad if I don't get one of Marquise Brown or Will Fuller in my drafts. Hayden, let's have that Will Fuller conversation. I think it's time because he's going as the, well, we have him ranked as the wide receiver 28, and he's going around in that area of drafts. Um, This is a player who is not being selected as a top 24 wide receiver, so you're not having to spend necessarily a pick that if it doesn't work out on someone that's going to tank your fantasy season. But if he does hit... His connection with Deshaun Watson is rare over a 16-game sample size. If he does hit, you're potentially looking at a top 15 wide receiver right now. There are questions there, but Hayden, isn't there something to the strategy of while everyone is so focused on those injury concerns, instead look at the positives and look at the upside of what he could bring you if everything does go right? Yeah, your league mates are definitely going to be looking at only the negatives here. And without DeAndre Hawkins, that frees up 10 targets per game. He's been a a wide receiver one producer at times. So I think that it is worth clicking his name, especially if you've drafted like three, three receivers in these first two or three tiers and then put the cherry on top with Will Fuller as your flex option. I love that strategy. Two running backs, three uh, like established wide receivers, and then Will Fuller in your flex spot. That's how you can win the league. Daigle, let's close the conversation with you. Make it a good name. Make it a good one to end on here, Daigle. Uh, okay. Hayden's going to get ready for fisticuffs because I am not leaving any draft without Nicole Hardman. And the argument he makes on behalf of Sammy Watkins and there just not being a role for Nicole Hardman is absolutely true. But I've seen through numerous, numerous studies on Rotoviz and other sites that, as we know, t- targets aren't just like handed down. They are earned. And this offense and this coach, Andy Reid, like they are just far too smart to bend and keep McCole Harmon benched for another year after being the most explosive receiver arguably in the league. So uh, I believe that even in just drafting McCole Harmon and stashing him for a month, like that is basically what we did with Nick Chubb in his rookie year, mm-hmm. just allowing something to happen in order to get one of the best offensive players in the entire league off the bench. And this is how you beat your league mates to fab in the bidding war you're going to have to do. Because if you're not doing it, if you're not drafting him, someone else is going to. And he's a potential league winner who I just can imagine earns his role eventually. I have to do one quick rebuttal with this thing. Me too. The the one other study I want to look at is if you're looking at low volume players that are young, yes, they do earn more targets, but you cannot extrapolate their efficiency numbers on a larger sample. So I did a study looking like specifically for Nicole Hardman. He averaged like 13 target or 13 yards per, per target last year, which was like by far the most in the league. We can expect him to be like close to like nine, not 13. So if you're trying to multiply like, hey, he's going to get 100 targets and then he's averaging 13 yards a target, that's where you lose me. And I think that's just kind of the game we're playing here where you want to bet on talent, but you can't extrapolate. And we're pretending that as a top 50 fantasy receiver that all these things are going to align. I get it. You want pieces of this offense. It's just getting a little price sensitive. 
I just think we have to – we can't ignore when players are special as rookies. And that's what Mikkel Harmon was. That's what Darius Slayton almost arguably was. People I feel like are overthinking both these players, people who lived up to their pre-draft skill sets and made huge plays consistently as rookies. And it'd be one thing if their ADPs were getting out of control. Like I thought Mikkel Hardman's ADP would be one of those ones that got out of control this summer, and it just never happened. And this, there's so many reasons. You know, it's easy to make the negative. Hayden made the, the negative case very eloquently. I mean, he's not going to average that many yards per target again. But just when a player is special as a rookie, like – do not discount that. And, and, you know, especially in this offense with Michael Hardman and, you know, the Chiefs, you know, they telegraphed, they made it clear they were willing to be rid of Sammy Watkins. The only reason he's back is because it was for the right price. They have faith in Michael Hardman. And yeah, I would just implore people do not overthink Michael Hardman and do not overthink Darius Slayton so much. There's a lot of other receivers we didn't even mention. I mean, I constantly bring up the rookies and Henry Ruggs and Jalen Rager and Brandon Ayuk and CeeDee Lamb. I think even, Names in the slot like Tyler Boyd and Julian Edelman are being a little bit overlooked right now. But if you want to check out all of their rankings, you need to look at our premium products. Just go over to rotoworld.com slash edge. We have all of our positional tiers. You can set up the scoring for your own league if it's a little specific. And we will spit out a big board for you to look at there. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. Hopefully you found this helpful. Up the villa and we'll see everyone on Friday with running backs and tight ends. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.